Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the October 30, 2022 session, focusing on Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. You're out of your tree. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. I'm Daniel Glaze. And I'm Burt Montgomery. <laughs> so, often, dear listeners, we, we discuss possible titles before we start recording, and that one was kind of fun to say, but one of the other <laughs> options was short people, and you'll understand why that was interesting in a little bit. But, but hey, this is for uh, the Sunday, October 30, which is, of course, the day before All Hallows Eve, uh, Halloween. And so I, I'm curious, since I suspect that you uh, have dressed up for Halloween at some point, or your kids have. What's a memorable Halloween costume for you or someone you know? One of my all-time favorites was about seven or eight years ago, we had a Halloween party at our church, at a church member's farm. And at the time, the woman was about 93 or 94 years old, and she came dressed up in a classic devil's outfit with the red horns, the tail, the pitchfork, and it was absolutely hysterical. She was wonderful. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I love Halloween. I love dressing up. Um, it's so hard to pick a favorite. But last year, I was Cruella DeVille, and I loved it. You pulled that one off. I, saw I was going to say, we we really ought to put a picture in the show notes I because it was incredible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was a fun one. Um, so, yeah. I'm going to yeah. be Daphne from the Scooby game this year. Ah, cool. See, I... I'm not nearly that fun. I, I'm surprise, surprise. I'm not a huge dress up kind of person. Um, but I will say when people dress up their dog, man, there's <laughs> nothing better in this world. I love a good dog Halloween costume. <laughs> and those can be pretty creative, man. They absolutely. Can. <laughs> well, last year, um, our, our, I live in a townhome community and, um, our community had a, uh, a Halloween party, and uh, they invited everybody to bring, you know, potluck food. And we did kind of a progressive dinner around the neighborhood, and dressed. We were dressed up, and there was a contest, which, of course, I won. Of course, now, you did. <laughs> of course, you did. So, um, it, this I can't, I have to give credit for the costume to my wife, who came up with it. But she um, she got me a black, you know, like a sweat sweatsuit, pants and top, and and then bought a box of name tags. And then we went through the directory for our neighborhood and put the names of all the different people who live in our neighborhood on the name tags. And I put them all over me. <laughs> and of course, everybody was like, what? That is so weird. And they finally would have to ask what I was. And I would say, I'm identity theft. There it is. <laughs> See? <laughs> okay, that's funny. That is funny. It's funny. <laughs> it, what was funny was watching people try to figure it out. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a lot of fun. We have good neighbors. We really oh. do. Well, our text is not necessarily uh, <laughs> themed around uh, costumes or Halloween, uh, but it is a really familiar text. So, Bert, would you help us get started with this one? Yeah. In the wonderful 1993 movie titled Benny and June, 
The great Mary Stuart Masterson plays June, and that's spelled J-O-O-N, which is short for Juniper. I know that's spelled with an U, but still, June. June is mentally ill, and she lives in the care of her loving and protective older brother named Benny. And then there is Sam. Sam is portrayed by Johnny Depp. He's a creative and quirky social misfit who lives with his cousin. And the first time that June and Sam see each other, June is riding in her brother's car, staring out the window, and she sees Sam, perched up high, sitting in a tree. And Sam sees her, sees her seeing him. And their eyes are locked until the car takes June out of their line of sight. And then a little bit later, the first time that June and Sam actually meet is when the cousin takes Sam over to Benny's house. And June immediately recognizes Sam from the tree and says to him, you're out of your tree. You're out of your tree. Man, I love that line. Our gospel text today is about another man who was in a tree. And then what happens when he is out of his tree? But before he got out of his tree, Zacchaeus had to get up in his tree. Now, a little bit of background, but it's a very familiar story. You all know it from singing the childhood song. But Zacchaeus was, as my elders and ancestors from way out deep in the Mississippi woods used to say, with great scorn, Zacchaeus was a revenuer. Zacchaeus worked for the empire. He was given license to tax the people as much as he possibly could squeeze out of them. And then he gave Rome what Rome demanded, and he was allowed legally to keep everything he had left over. So you can imagine, Zacchaeus was despised, quite wealthy, but hated. Oh, he was also short. Now, Word spread through Jericho that this miracle man that was walking around at that time named Jesus was going to be passing through town, and Zacchaeus was curious to see what all the fuss was about. Being short, being unable to see over everyone's heads, he climbed up in that now legendary sycamore tree to get a good view, and that's where he was when Jesus saw him. Everyone in Jericho waits with great anticipation for Jesus to unload holy wrath upon Zacchaeus because everyone knew that God, too, hated the Roman tax collectors. But instead, Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house for the day. Listen, we make a lot about Zacchaeus wanting to see Jesus so badly that he climbed up in that tree. But Zacchaeus seeing Jesus did not change Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was changed because Jesus saw him. Sometimes I wonder how many of us are truly changed by our simply seeing Jesus. I mean, so many of us have sung the great contemporary praise song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord, We Want to See Jesus. But I'm not so sure anymore that many of us are necessarily changed all that much just by seeing Jesus, because we tend to see Jesus the way we want to see Jesus. In the gospel stories, lots of people who wanted to see Jesus and did see Jesus did not like what they saw and heard. More often than not, I think, what changes us, as it did Zacchaeus, is when Jesus sees us. 
Or maybe when we see Jesus seeing us. In Benny and June, Sam sees June as so much more than a poor, mentally ill young woman who has to live with her brother. Now, this does not wash away all the very real struggles and challenges that she has to live with, and she will always live with. But in Sam truly seeing her and the pureness and the beauty inside her, despite what the rest of the world sees, Sam calls forth from within her the fullness of who she is. Sam's seeing June sets June free from the sick little sister role that she had been assigned to by her family and her world. Again, struggles and problems did not magically disappear. But in the course of this film, these characters learn to see each other and relate to each other in dramatically transformed ways to see and relate to their full humanness in a way that, dare I say, is redeemed. We all know about the incredible transformation Zacchaeus goes through because Jesus welcomes him and affirms him, and how he leaves behind his selfishness and loneliness and wealth in order to spend the rest of his life living generously and mercifully and in community with others. And there is a tremendous message, especially for us today, of reparations and economic justice as a sign of repentance and redemption. And I I know we'll talk about these things in today's podcast, but perhaps at the core, it all starts when we simply accept Jesus's invitation to come down out of our trees and spend time with him just as we are. Thanks, Bert, for that wonderful introduction. (laughs) It was sticking with the movie theme. I often like to think about, you know, what what it might look like if biblical stories were, you know, if Hollywood took those up. And I'm I'm convinced Danny DeVito would play Zacchaeus. Don't you think? I mean, yes. it's it it, it yes. just would it just would be. Yes. I'm certain. Um, <laughs> but, he could play the greedy, gruffy, bitter, hate filled, and everybody yes. hates him character oh, better man. than anybody. He yes. would he would they would they would not even audition anyone else no no, no need he would get no need. But, <laughs> but anyway that's beside the point i suppose so i i really like how you are casting this that salvation comes to zacchaeus to use the uh, luke's language there because jesus sees him and and i think that's so key because that's that's so different from how we see zacchaeus how do we see zacchaeus well we we see him for his cheating and his thievery and his lying and his stature. I mean, you you reference it. We we sing a honestly a, a little bit of a cruel song about him. He was a wee little man. When in fact, even even Luke, who is Luke is pretty tough on rich folks. He he's not on Zacchaeus. He just says this is who Zacchaeus was. Um and he just he just tells the story. I'm seeing a stark contrast between the way we see Zacchaeus. We see him only because of his stature and and because of the awful things he had done. But but both Luke and the way he tells it and Jesus 
see, I guess, who who he truly is and who and who he wants to be, who he can become. Uh, because who he becomes is an incredibly generous person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really appreciate your helping us to, to see it that way. Well, and Daniel, that difference in how we see Zacchaeus and how Jesus and Luke see Zacchaeus um, is evident in the text too, because the other people in the crowd very much see Zacchaeus the way that we often portray Zacchaeus. I'm not sure that we've completely learned a whole lot from the Zacchaeus story, except that he was short. I mean, he was short. People didn't like him. He decided his house. But there are a lot of other things that are happening in the text, like Bert referenced in his introduction. Um, There's a lot here in the text, but I too very much appreciate you connecting with the effect that Jesus's attention to Zacchaeus had on him. Mm. And and what's so intriguing about that is, yeah, we, we, we tend to, we tend to stop the story. Okay. You know, Jesus saw him. And so he, he said he was sorry and you know, he was, he was saved, but, but the, but what Zacchaeus teaches us is, is not only was he, was he regretful and remorseful for how he had defrauded others, he makes it right. Mm-hmm. So, so often we say, you know, listen, I apologized, you know, as if that undoes all the hurt and the bitterness that, that you know, that's left in the wake of your, your actions. But true repentance is not just, I'm sorry, I'll stop doing what I'm doing, but making, making right the damage we've done. I mean, this is ancient reparations. If, if I remember is. correctly, mm-hmm. Hebrew law said, you know, if you defraud someone, you pay them back plus 20%. Well, Zacchaeus goes to 400%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and not only that, we forget this other little part of his commitment to justice, which is, so now not, not only will I pay everyone back four times, half my possessions I'm giving them to the poor. Mm-hmm. You know, what I think is really interesting about that is, so in our system, um, typically when someone has taken advantage of another person and it's able to be tried in court, you know, you take somebody to court, they took my money, I want to get my money back. A part of the punishment, if found guilty, is to pay back and, you know, whatever extra that you're supposed to pay back. We treat that part of this process as punishment, but Zacchaeus does it as a part of his transformation. It's something Mm. that Zacchaeus gets to do, not something that Zacchaeus has to do. And it's not about punishing Zacchaeus. It's about making it right within the community. Yeah. It's part of his salvation. And by that, I don't mean he did it as a condition of salvation. I think it was because of the, the the new spirit he had, yes, he said, "This yes. is what I must do." Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're exactly right, Nikki. I'm also struck by the public nature of of this narrative. I mean, often we'll focus on Jesus and on Zacchaeus, right? And there's a lot mm-hmm. to focus on there, but this was done in front of the community gathered, mm-hmm. and they saw and wondered, and you know they had to talk about this for quite a while. And and also afterwards, right? They saw the change in Zacchaeus. Some of them may have 
actually benefited from the change in Zacchaeus. So I, I don't know. And I'm not sure what I'm getting at, except that it, it's interesting that there is such a communal uh, nature to this. And even for Zacchaeus, uh, in his in his newfound sense of generosity and even reparations, he is part of a system, right? I mean, it's not that Zacchaeus was born and said, I'm going to invent this thing called being a tax collector. No, he was part of a system. There were lots of other tax collectors for the empire who behaved in similar ways. Including a disciple. Oh, yeah. And so was he responsible for all of the things they had done? Because it feels like he's, he's doing more than just fixing what he broke. You know, there's there's another aspect to this that I, that has just occurred to me as we're we've all been talking, and and the four of us have all grown up in the church, and we all knew the song, I'm sure, as kids, right, and sang it as kids, and uh, taught it to our kids, and all that kind of fun stuff. One of the things that I just always remember being having emphasized to me is that we should be like Zacchaeus, meaning that are we willing to climb a tree to see Jesus? What links will you go to? To get to Jesus, yeah. right? That's right. And and and, yeah. and and but that's so because in the context, he's the outsider. He's the 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 fringe. He's the person on the edge. That even if he does go to the links to see Jesus, Jesus obviously would want nothing to do with him. In fact, in the text, people are mad at Jesus. Why is he doing this? Mm-hmm. He doesn't deserve this, right? And and yet he doesn't pull Zacchaeus out. And drag him to the temple. He invites Zacchaeus, let me come to your house and sit with you for a while because I think you matter, you know? And mm-hmm. and I'm hearing this because in recent weeks, our church has some connections with uh <laughs> with regional drag queens. And uh we occasionally do drag brunch at a local bar. At, we do church at the bar one Sunday a month, which gets followed with drag brunch. Uh they they perform during lunch after after the show, and and we've got and I've had some queens that have come and gone who have been friends for a while, and we still get complaints about that. And, and why are you doing this? And I'm thinking, if you know some of these people, these performers, as I've gotten to know them, these are people who want to see Jesus, and they have been told that Jesus is not for them. And they are not welcome back in churches as they are, not as the performers, but just as their own selves. And they carry a lot of church trauma with them. Uh, But the fact that we sit and and give them tips uh, when they're dancing around um, has built some incredible relationships for us. And and I I wonder if we truly want people to be Zacchaeus, we say, oh, you should be like Zacchaeus and go do this. Well, You've got to wonder if you're going to play that text to its limit. You've got to allow the people we're convinced God doesn't like because they're not like us, that God wants to spend time with them. And are we going to be Jesus and see them for the child of God they are and go to their place and spend time with them there? Um, I'm rambling because this is just coming to me as, we, as we're talking, but that's a, an interesting thing, I think. This may not make sense, but it's something that that just jumps out at me as I read these these verses about uh, Jesus and Zacchaeus. Speaking about Zacchaeus, Jesus says, "Today salvation has come to this house, 
because he too is a son of Abraham. Jesus not only honors him by going to his home, this son of Abraham, it's almost as if, and I may be interpreting it wrong, it's almost as if Jesus says, you know, everyone else may have kicked you out of their family, but no matter, you're in my family now. Mm. It's, it's a tender sort of designation. And it reminds me of, Bert, the way you do church. Mm-hmm. It's, it's this, you know, you know what? You're looking for Jesus. We're looking for Jesus. You're in our family now. Mm-hmm. Sounds, sounds biblical to me, the way you do it. David, I was thinking about your comments about the public nature of this narrative. Yeah. And I really like that you drew that out because when I think about Zacchaeus's response, when I think about the fact that Zacchaeus chose to pay back what he took times four, that kind of act by him would have impacted nearly everyone in that community. Mm-hmm. It completely shifts. It's not just paying somebody back. It shifts the power, the financial power in that community. Mm. Like it's a very public event, but it impacts all of the public. When we, you know, we've kind of made allusions to this idea of reparations, and that is an ugly word in a lot of places in our country. And I'm not going to get into a debate about it. All I will say is that whenever there is something taken from a people in scripture, God's law in one way or another says, pay it back. And there's no limit on when it was taken or how long ago it happened. And again, it's not about punishment. It's about making things right. It's about setting things right within a community. And it's about raising the low and lowering the high. It's gospel. Mm -hmm. It is the idea of reparations is Christian gospel. Mm -hmm. Amen. I know I, I quote Frederick Beekner too often, but this one I have to do. Can you quote him too often? I know. No. I don't think that's a possible. We should so, try. All right, we should so find out. Normally, he's very poised and articulate and, and even um, graceful in his writing and storytelling, right? But when he talks about Zacchaeus, I, he gets spicy. And, mm. <laughs> um, and, and I think he does it on purpose. Um, but there's a there's a passage out of Peculiar Treasures, one of the books he wrote, where he describes a group of people, the sons of Abraham, if you will, <laughs> and it's a really interesting group of people. And then he shows the connection to Zacchaeus, and maybe to us. So listen with me to this this passage from from Beekner. He says. There's Aaron whooping it up with the golden calf the moment his brother's back is turned. And there's Jacob conning everybody, including his own father. There's Jael driving a tent peg through the head of an overnight guest. And Rahab, the first of the red-hot mamas. 
There's Nebuchadnezzar with his Amen. taste with his taste for roasting the opposition and Paul holding the lynch mob's coats as they go to work on Stephen. There's there's Saul the paranoid and David the stud and those mealy-mouthed friends of Job's who would probably have succeeded in boring him to death if Yahweh hadn't stepped in in just the nick of time. And then there are the ones who betrayed the people who loved them best, such as Absalom and poor old Peter, such as Judas even. Zacchaeus makes a good one to end with because in a way he can stand for all the rest. He's a sawed-off little social disaster with a big bank account and a crooked job. But Jesus welcomes him aboard anyway. And that's why he reminds you of all the others, too. You, you can't help feeling that, like Zacchaeus, they're all, all of them, somehow treasured, too. Why are they treasured? Who knows? But maybe you can say at least this about it. That they're treasured less for who they are and for what the world has made them than for what they have it in them at their best to be. Because ultimately, of course, it's not the world that made them at all. Mm. Yeah. Mm, that's wow. good. That's good. It is good. Well, I, I hope all of your groups have a really interesting discussion because this this is one of those narratives that is its familiarity can cause us to move into cliches. But there's really a lot, a lot to unpack here if if we will take the time to do it. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Subscribe to the Faith Element Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.